Jordan, and I want to welcome you to worship. We are excited you chose to be a part of what God is going to do today. If this is your first time visiting, you've come at the beginning of our new sermon series titled Scandalous Stories. Jesus was the ultimate storyteller, and sometimes those stories were audacious and downright scandalous. Our missions and community pastor, Jason Haggard, will be bringing the message today. For those visiting in person, feel free to stop by our I'm New Wall located in the lobby. You can connect with us there and get any questions answered that you may have. Mark your calendars for Rock the Hill on August 5th. This year, we move our annual outdoor picnic and service, previously held at the park, to our green space right on campus. The fun will start at 4 p.m. with kid-friendly games, a meal at 5.30, followed by our worship service at 7. That's right, a mission trip opportunity for all ages. There's no better spiritual jolt than taking a week to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Here's an opportunity to go to Guatemala this fall break. And here are just some of the things you'll be doing. Building houses, visiting orphanages, meal prepping to feed thousands, hosting Bible lessons and games for kids in the village, and visiting a school in Guatemala City. Message Matt Krebs at mkrebs at shelbychristian.org. ReadyFest is our way to help in our local schools. We are asking for donations of kids' clothes, new and gently used. You can drop those off in the lobby. ReadyFest will be held on July 22nd. We had two baptisms last week that we want to celebrate. Chris Vaughn and Bev Morgan made the decision for Christ and were baptized. Make some noise for what God is doing in the lives all around us. in this morning. We're going to worship the Lord. just want to read Psalms 96 to you. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, and declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Let's sing about the Holy Spirit coming. We want to invite the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen.
Ghost Single, can you feel it? Oh, can you feel it? Heaven is reaching. Oh, can you hear it? Our God is speaking. Oh, can you see it? He's got your healing. Oh, just receive it. Receive the freedom. Oh, can you feel it? Heaven is reaching. Oh, can you hear it? Our God is speaking. Oh, can you see it? He's got your healing. Oh, just receive it. so good to be back uh, in the USA. For those that don't know, uh, I was able to go and be a part of a trip to Poland uh, last week. And uh, just amazing time. Uh, we were able to just serve, to be servants uh, to a ministry over there called Pro-Am. And we did all, all sorts of things while we were there. We helped, uh, we, uh, we helped with some families and we also did a lot of construction projects. We did a lot of sanding and spackling and painting. Uh, some of the things that you would think, oh, wow, is this, a, this is kind of like a mission trip, really? Like, But, you know, so many times when we go to a trip like that, we call it a mission trip, it, it affects the people that go so much uh, that God is doing amazing thing within us that are going. And uh, But I was just I was reading Mark, and I wanted to read this to you. Mark 10, Jesus is talking uh, to, this, to his disciples, and James, uh, James, James was saying, I think it was James and John, he was saying, God, can you do us a favor? Or, you know, Jesus, can you do us a favor? Whenever it's, it's your time and, and you're on your throne, can you make sure that we have a place right near you and Jesus basically said you don't know what you're asking you're asking to suffer like I have to suffer are you willing to do that and they were like yeah sure we can do that but then you know Jesus went on to say it's not my place to say who can sit at the at the left or the right hand of the father but he went on and he said truly I tell you like you have to become a servant and so many times in life, we want to jockey for those little positions in life. And Jesus is always calling us to say, how can you serve? Because his kingdom is kind of the upside down kingdom. He said, the first shall be last. 
He said the least of these will be the greatest. And so as we have a moment to come together and to break bread together and have communion together, we just want to offer you this, this time to thank God and just ask him, what are you wanting me to do to become more like Jesus? How can I build in my heart a servant's heart so that it pleases him? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, just giving us life through your son, Jesus, Lord. And in just a minute, we get to come and take that small cup of juice, a little piece of bread. And Lord, as we partake, Lord, we just remember what you did for us, Jesus. We love you. We give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
faithfulness And I've seen miracles my mind can't comprehend There is beauty in what I can't understand Jesus, it's you Jesus, it's you Oh, I believe in the wonder the wonder-working God, all the miracles I've seen, too good to not believe, you're the wonder-working God, you heal because you love, all the miracles I've seen, you're too good to not believe, too good to not believe, too good to not believe. Can resurrect a man with my own hands. Just the mention of your name can raise the dead. Yeah. Yeah. 
pray with me, Lord, thank you for being in this place, Lord, and that we can put our life in your hands, Lord. It's only through you, Lord, that we live and we breathe. We trust in you. We trust in you. In Jesus' name, we lift you up. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Are powerful. If you think about a movie that you've gone to recently or maybe over the years and you looked at the running time and it said like two hours and 30 minutes and you're like, that seems like a long time. But you go in and you sit down and the movie starts and it's over and it seems like you've been there for 15 minutes. You ever had experience like that in a movie theater where it's just like there's this story that just draws you in and holds your attention and it was a really well-told, well-done story, right? And there's other times where you've looked at a movie and it's an hour and a half and you go in and sit down and it feels like it was three hours just because it was a bad movie, right? You ever been to that too, all right? And so a, a story is powerful, a good book usually has a great story at the heart of it. Your favorite movie, chances are there is a great story at the center of that movie. Jesus loved to tell stories. He was the greatest storyteller of all. He would tell stories because he knew stories connected with people's hearts. He knew that stories were a way for them to wrap their brains around what he was trying to convey to them about what his father's kingdom is like. He knew that if he could tell them a story, they would be able to relate to it and understand how much the father loves them. Jesus was the ultimate storyteller. But Jesus didn't just tell nice little childlike stories, you know, little, little nursery rhyme stories. Those aren't the kind of stories that he told at all. Jesus would tell stories that, that would, would make people, they would make people think. They, they, would, they would sometimes make people mad. 
They would give people this opportunity to stop and to look at things in a different way from a different perspective. Sometimes people would hear Jesus tell a story and they would say, it's too much. That, that teaching is too much. And they would walk away and they would never return to hear Jesus tell another story. Jesus told scandalous stories. Jesus told audacious stories. Jesus told unbelievable stories, stories that the hearer would listen and go, that can't be right. That can't be true. We have never heard anyone talk in this way before. And sometimes it was scandalous. And so in this series, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to look at some scandalous stories that Jesus told. The Bible calls them parables. And, and, and these parables Jesus uses from time to time in his teaching. He, he's, he told dozens and dozens of parables in the New Testament. We're not going to be able to cover all of them, but we're going to pick up just a few out. And we're going to look at them. We're going to see what Jesus was conveying to his listener in the first century. And what he's trying to share with us today in 2023. I love the definition of the word scandalous. Look at this. Scandalous, uh, one, one part of the definition is causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. Jesus would just go around. If you look at his ministry on earth, he would go around and he was just causing outrage, general public outrage every time he spoke. Because people had never heard this before. They'd never seen things in this perspective before. They never thought about things the way Jesus told them before. But there was always going to be a reaction. There would be a reaction to the storytelling God. And that's who Jesus was. And that's who he is. And that's what the gospel is. It's the story of God and what he's done on this earth through Jesus for us. Paul wrote this in Corinthians, to the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians. He said this, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumb stumbling block, or the Greek word there is scandalon, to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. So you, kinda, you can kind of see there, right, the root word of scandalous. What Paul was saying was, is that we preach this gospel message of Christ being crucified? What kind of a God, right? What kind of a king, what kind of a Lord would come to earth and allow himself to be put on a cross, to be shamed publicly, to hang between two thieves? Only a scandalous one. Only one who would begin, who would, who would tell and continue to tell scandalous stories. And Paul says that that's a stumbling block. It's scandalous to people because they can't, they don't understand it. They're looking for a certain thing that they think a God should be like, or they think a king should be like, or they think a leader should be like. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to flip that upside down. I want to turn it on its ear. I, I want to share with something that, that you maybe have never thought about. You've never even fathomed God in this way. And here's what God is like. Here's what God's kingdom is like. And so he would tell stories over and over again. 
and they're called parables. And we're going to look at a few of them over the next few weeks. The first thing I want to do is I want to share with you guys what parables are and aren't. Let's look at what parables aren't. Here's what parables aren't. Parables aren't just earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Now, if you've been around church for very long, you've probably heard a preacher stand up and talk about parables and say, parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Now, that, that, that part of that's true, but it's so much more than that. That's a very simplistic way of looking at what Jesus was doing when he told a parable. And we'll, we'll see that today. Uh, parables aren't just moralistic fables. These aren't just cute little stories that you, can, that you can listen to. And then at the end of it, you tie a little bow around it and go, oh, that's a great little story, right? That's just this moralistic idea that we can take with us. There's so much more than that. Uh, parables aren't um, predictable stories where the good guy finishes first. A lot of times when Jesus would tell a story, the good guys die right? Maybe you, you like a story where it, like at the end, like the, everybody rides off into the sunset and they live happily ever after. And he gets the girl and they go and they have the white picket fence in the house and all that stuff. And it's like this great, cute little story. Those aren't the kind of stories that Jesus told. He told stories of death. He, he told stories where people were going to have to do some pretty tough things. He told stories that required people to take a step way beyond or four steps or five steps or to think way beyond what they're maybe even capable of doing. And he stretched them and he pulled them along. Parables aren't about a heavenly otherly world. They're not about a place up there or out there. It's about this world down here. I love this quote from Chad Bird. He, t- he said this about parables. He said, their subject is the kingdom of God to be sure, but the kingdom, a kingdom packed with dirt and trees and water and bread and wine and truckloads of twisted sinners. That's what Jesus, when he told parables, talked about. He talked about people. He talked about earth. He talked about the kingdom of God coming to earth. Parables are not about us. They're about, not about a God who plays by our rules. They're about a father who loves his children. If you read a parable and see yourself as the hero or the center of it, you're doing it wrong. It's not about us. These aren't about us. Now, we might see um, certain aspects in some of these stories, and you may, you'll see one today that kind of, you can kind of relate to. But we're not the center of this. God is. And and so those are some of the things parables aren't. Here's some of the things that parables are. Parables are about the kingdom of God. God. One of the things God wanted to do, what Jesus wanted to do when he told parables, is he wanted to give people a glimpse. He wanted to give them an idea. He wanted to give them a thought of, of like, well, here's, here's, here's what, when you think about the kingdom of God, I know it's hard and I know it's mysterious, but here's what it's like. And so he would, he would tell a story. It's about a king who is a servant. It's about revealing some of the mystery, mysterious things of God to us. Listen to this passage of scripture. Look at this, this next, this passage in Matthew chapter 13. It says this, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. And this is from Psalm 78. It says, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. One of the sneaky little things that Jesus does with parables in the New Testament is that he starts to reveal things to us. 
that were mysterious for so, so, so long. Have you guys ever read anything in the Bible and had this thought, well, I don't really understand what that means. Anybody or is it just me, right? If you've done much studying of, of God's word, you've probably read something, come across something and thought, what is this story about? Or why is this in there? Or what, how does this connect with the other parts that I know about the Bible, right? And so there's this, these mysterious things that we read that we don't really understand. And part of what Jesus wanted to do with parables is he wanted to come and kind of connect the dots for us with some of this stuff. He wanted to say, you know, these are some of the things you've heard said, but let me share a story with you. Maybe, maybe let's break it down into smaller bite-sized pieces so that you can understand this a little bit better. That's what parables are about. But it wasn't just words that Jesus used It wasn't just his words sometimes that were scandalous. It was the people that he talked to and the places that he went that that others would look at and go, why would he go there? Why would he do that? Why would he meet with them? Why would he talk to them? Why would he say that? A lot of times when Jesus would teach and preach and tell parables and just be hanging out with his disciples and other people, they were looking for answers to like just life, big, big questions. Like, is he, is he a prophet? Is he the son of God? Is this, is this all legit? Is this all real? And so they're asking these big questions. And so they try to get close to God. They try to sit at, uh, close to Jesus. They try to sit at his feet. They try to listen to some of the things he's saying and teaching. And a lot of times they would walk away with more questions than answers. Have you ever experienced that in your faith? Like, like when you have, you have all these questions about God and, and, and maybe about your life and, and you have a lot of questions. And so you go to scripture, you know, you, you pray and you read and you study and you talk to others. <laughs> and a lot of times, the more you grow in your faith, email, the more questions you have. I, I, what I've noticed in the years of being a Christian is that I have more questions now than I did 20 years ago, right? They're, they're just there. They're just, I have more questions because I'm seeking deeper things and deeper thoughts and deeper ideas. And so here's what I want you to know. If you're a new Christian and you have a lot of questions, that doesn't get, like some of those will get answered. You'll get some answers, but then that'll bring, like you'll get an answer and then it'll open up 10 more questions, right? And, and so people were looking for answers to the questions and Jesus would come and he would tell these scandalous stories and he would tell them in scandalous places and, and he would open up a whole nother can of worms. And you're going to see that today in this story. This is in Luke chapter seven, Luke chapter seven. We're going to look at verses 36 through 50. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get there on your phone or whatever you need. It's going to be on the screen as well, but we're going to look at this story. There's a parable within the story and I want us to look at it uh, this morning. Here's what it says in Luke chapter thir- or chapter seven, verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now here's what you need to know. The, the way that they would uh, eat in, in Jesus's day is they wouldn't sit at a table with chairs like, like, we, like we normally would have a meal, right? Like when you go sit down at a table, you, you're gonna have a meal. It was, it was more of like a smaller table closer to the ground and they would recline. There would be pillows. And, and so a picture like the table right here and kind of leaned in on, on an elbow with their feet kind of behind them, kind of just stretched out 
reclined at the table. Okay, so kind of get that picture, like just kind of sitting on the floor, laying on the floor, just comfortably like kind of there just reclined at this table. This is the picture I want you to have in your mind. And here's what happens in verse 37. It says, and behold, a woman of the city, (laughs) I love this, a woman of the city who was a sinner, wouldn't you like, like when, when you're referred to, and they're going to tell the, the story about your life for, for the rest of, of time, right? And, and what they're going to refer to you as a woman who was a sinner, right? This, this is who this lady is. Uh, and now I want you to notice, I highlight this, a woman of the city. Now you guys kind of get where this is going, right? There's a difference in being a woman who lives in the city and a woman of the city. And so this is, this is who this lady is, who was a sinner when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclined at the table in this Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet. So, right, you get this picture. She walks up. She's there behind him and she's, she's crying. She's weeping. She, she begins to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet. Now, she's, she started from a place of she's standing and she's crying and she's weeping and, and the, the drops of her tears are, are touching Jesus' feet. And then she, she bends down, she kneels down. She starts to, to wipe that away with her hair and with this ointment. She kisses his feet and anointing them with, with this ointment. And so you, you've got this scene, right? In, in this story in Luke chapter seven, worlds collide. Jesus is eating in the home of this religious elite guy named Simon, this Pharisee, this guy who's kind of got his chest stuck out, right? He's puffed up. He's, he's got this, like, people know who he is. His reputation in town precedes him. And so this is Simon the Pharisee. He's important, and he dressed important, and he looked important, and he had a home that looked like it was a place where people wanted to come and eat dinner, And then this woman walks in and the Bible simply says that she's a sinner, a woman of the sinner. And this woman earned her living in the shadows, in the shadows of the city. She sold herself to others under the cover of darkness. She would bear the shame of your sin for a price, right? That's who this woman is. And so initially, no one says anything. No one says a word because they can't fathom this happening. How dare, what is she doing in here? Who let her in? How did she get in here? They all knew who she was. Maybe some of them in the room had been customers and they're hiding in the the corner, right? I don't want to make eye contact. And here she is in this room, in this Pharisee's home, causing a scene. Look at verse 39. It says, now when the Pharisees who had had invited him saw this, he said to himself. And so here's what you need to understand here. He's he's not, he doesn't say this out loud. He says this to himself. He's thinking this. This This is in his subconscious, right? He's thinking, he says, if this man were a prophet talking about Jesus, he would have known who and what sort of a woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. 
And so Simon's kind of evaluating the situation going, all right, Simon wanted, wanted Jesus to come to his home, probably because, this is a little commentary on my part, right? So this isn't in here, but probably because he's got questions. He, he doesn't know who this guy is. He's claiming to be this, and he's doing this, and he's doing, doing these, these, these wonderful things, and he's healing people, and he's talking about God, and he's claiming to be the son of God. He's doing all this stuff, and he's like, and so, he's, and, and so Simon says, come over, and let's have dinner. He wants to kind of get a little bit closer to Jesus because he's not buying it, and he wants to see if this guy's a fraud or not, right? And so here's the first inkling. He thinks, well, right here. If he knew who she was, he would not dare let her touch him. This is a filthy, dirty, disgusting, horrible woman of the city. And Jesus, if you were truly a prophet, if you were truly the son of God, you would have anything to do with her. You would shun her. You would kick her out. You would tell her to go away. And so whatever good thoughts Simon had about Jesus, they, they vanished. His thoughts about this scandalous situation and he thinks, Jesus, if he knew, he, he should know. And so he questions everything. He doesn't believe he's the son of God. He doesn't even believe he's a prophet of God. And so here in this moment, the next few moments, something really interesting happens. Jesus takes the opportunity to share with Simon what God is really like. Simon's grown up his whole life training right? To be this religious leader, to be this Pharisee. He knows the things of God. He knows the Torah. He knows, he knows all these things. He knows all the laws. He knows all the rules. He knows all the history. He knows about God. And Jesus comes in and in the next four sentences, 33 words, that's all it is. The parable today in the middle of this story is four sentences long. It's three sentences and a question. And he wants to convey to Simon and to us about who God really is. Look at, look at the next few verses. Verse four, he says, and Jesus answering said to him. Now here's, here's if I'm Simon, I should have a clue because Jesus is answering Simon's thoughts. <laughs> So if, if you're paying attention and you're Simon and you're like, hey, hey, how did you know what I was thinking? Well, because I'm God, but we'll get to that later, right? And so he, Simon says, I, I have something to say to you. And he answered. Simon says, say it, teacher. Now, I, I love this kind of phrase here. Because th- this, in, in my thinking, the way this is kind of written, it's, it's this idea that Simon's like, all right, what do you got to say, Jesus? Say it. Spit it out. Let's hear it. What do you got going on here? Because we're not, I'm not buying all this. I'm, I'm starting to figure you out, Simon's thinking. So Jesus says, I want, I want to tell you something. I want to share something with you, Simon. And he says, say it. And so then here's the parable. Like I said, 33 words, four sentences. Here it is. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And, and when, they come, when they could not pay the debt, he canceled the debt of both of them. And then Jesus asked this question. Now, which of them will love him more? Right? Hey, you look at this illustration, this parable, the story that Jesus just makes up right here in the middle of this other story. And you're thinking, well, this is, that's pretty simple. That's pretty obvious. Like an eight-year-old could answer this, right? 
it's not a trick. It's not a riddle. And so here in verse 43, Simon says, well, he answers, he says, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Ding, 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 ding. You get, you got it right, Simon. You've answered the the question correctly. And so you look at that and you go, well, what's your point? Obviously the guy that owed 500, the guy that owed the bigger debt, he's the one that would be happier, that would be more ecstatic with the fact that the debt had been canceled. It's a no-brainer. And so here's what I want you to see this morning. There's always something behind the story. There's always something deeper to the story. You have to look a little bit deeper and you have to ask yourselves uh, some more questions. And here's, here's the question behind the question that Jesus asked Simon. Really, what Jesus was asking Simon is, Simon, which one of these two, the one that owns 500 or the one that owns 50, which one of these two are you? Not which one do you think you are. And so Jesus starts to have this conversation. He takes debt and he, and he turns it into not, not just like a financial debt, but like a spiritual debt of sin, right? And so he starts to have this this thought of like, all right, which one are you, Simon? Not how you see yourself, not how you perceive yourself or others perceive you, but which one of these two people are you? And and for us, I think the question this morning is similar. When you read this story, when you hear this simple, short little parable in the middle of this story in Luke chapter 7, which one are you? What is your debt? How much is it? How much do you owe? Which one do you think you are? No. Which one do you want to act like? No. Which person are you? Do you owe a great debt or a small debt? Are your sins significant or are they insignificant or too many to count? Right? When you think about your life and your sin and the debt that you owe, how does it stack up? Do you look at it and you think, well, that's not that big a deal. I, I'm better than so-and-so. I haven't done really that much bad stuff, right? My sins are, are really in the grand scheme of things. When you think about what other people have done and the way other people behave and the way other people act and the things that other people say and the things that other people do, when you, when you, when you stack up my life, it's kind of, it's not that big of a deal, Right? And so we can kind of start to think about that. Look at what happens next in verse 44. After Jesus asked this question, and he asked the question behind the question, which one are you? He turns toward the woman, and he said this to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? Now, this is kind of a silly question, right? Obviously, everyone has seen her. She's caused the scene. She's here. Like, she's crying. She's wailing. She's weeping. Like, she's now she's down. She's wiping Jesus' feet. Like, she, this is a big scene in the middle of this guy's house. So everybody's seen her. And so I don't think Jesus was saying, do you physically see her? Because they could all physically see her. I think what Jesus was saying is, do you see what's going on here? Do you see what's going on with this woman? Look at what he says next. He says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came into this house, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my my feet with ointment. And therefore I tell you, her sins, 
And then Jesus kind of, <laughs> Jesus kind of does a little piling on here. He, he says, her sins, which are many, will all, I'll grant you that. Like this is, this is not, a, this, this has, life has not gone well for this lady. A lot of sin, a lot of sin, which, which are many, he says, are forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus says to those who have been forgiven much, love will love much. Those who have been forgiven little are going to love little. Here's the truth that we need to understand. There are no small debtors. There's no small sin. There are either those with great debt who realize it and recognize it, or those who have great sin and want to ignore it and consider it insignificant. And so here's a question. When was the last time you cried were broken over your sin. When's the last time you sat in a heap of your own tears asking Jesus to forgive you, begging Jesus to forgive you? Or do we just kind of go along and think, well, that's not that big a deal. Here's what we've kind of, for some reason, here's what we, we do in, in, in the world, right, in our lives. And maybe we do this as Christians a, a lot. I've done this before, and I'm sure you have too. We, we kind of want to categorize sin, right? We kind of kind of want to put them, rank them, and put them in certain like categories and say, well, well these are, those are really bad. Like if you do one of those, like the top 10, those, the worst things, like you're over here, you're a bad sinner. But if you're over here and it's like, it's just not, you know, most people will go, ah, that's not that big a deal, right? Then we just kind of go on and we ignore it. And so there's this shade, there's this pendulum, there's this graph of like, well, these sins are kind of little, a little white lie, or this is not that big of a deal, Right. Can we just forget that? Can we just sweep that under the rug? Can we just go on with that? And then there are things, these things over here that are just almost unforgivable. How, how, how could someone live that kind of a lifestyle? That's unforgivable. How could someone do that? That's unforgivable. How could someone act in that way? You, you see it on the news and you think, of, man, that guy, what a piece of junk. What a piece of dirt. What a piece of trash, right? You see all these horrible things that are listed there on the screen. And you think, I would never, I would never be like that guy. And so we categorize sin. Maybe you hear this story this morning and you think, well, I'd never sell my body to make money. Or I'd never use the services of a prostitute. It's natural to think that this lady was doing some awful things. And so it makes sense to see her her emotional response to Jesus. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. Here's what we all need to understand this morning. God's law does not bend to any of us. Because Jesus also said this. Matthew, when he was preaching the... Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And they would all say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard that. We got it. 
That's the Old Testament law. It's one of the ten. Hey, yeah, we got it. Moses' law. Yeah, yep. We, we don't do that, Jesus. Never. I've only been with my wife. Never been with another woman. We're good. Let's move on. And Jesus was like, oh, oh, hold on. Hold on. I got, I got more here for you. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, uh-oh, and, and you know, this is, this is specifically for men right here, but I would, you could, ladies, we could turn this around and say, anyone who looks at a, a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus comes along and he says, you know what the, the law says, but, but here's what I want you to understand. I've come to fulfill the law and I've come to then take that law and expand it and explode it all out through the roof and take it up like 10 notches. It's not just about what you do physically. It's about what happens in your mind and in your heart. And you can imagine the first time Jesus said this, there were a bunch of people sitting there going, whoa, I didn't know that's what it meant. Jesus, is that what you're teaching? Is that what you're saying? And you could see, I bet some people, the first time they heard this, they got up and they walked off because that teaching was too hard. I bet you there were some people that sat there and just cried with tears coming down their face because they realized the circumstances of their situation and how sinful they were. And so for us, do we realize, yeah, you may not have done A, B, and C, but Jesus comes along and he says, look, there, there's a bar that's so much higher than maybe you could even, even fathom. And so sometimes we want to treat Jesus like a dinner party guest, right? We, we think that we can invite him over just as we are. We think we can kind of send out the invitation and say, hey, Jesus, come on over and visit and we're going to get the, the dining room ready. We're going to clean the kitchen. And we're going to clean this one little living room area. And, and we're going to take all the dirty clothes and all the laundry and all the kids' clothes. And we're going to kind of just all throw it in this closet and shut the door and hope that you don't notice. Anybody ever invited people over and then and remember, like, you, you, you forgot. And then, like, four hours before they're supposed to get there, you're like... Oh, shoot, we got to clean. And like, there's this world wearing it. Anybody ever, else ever done that? Right? And you're like, you're pitching toys and you're pitching clothes and you're shutting doors. And you're like, nobody go in that. Do- don't open that door until they leave tonight. Right? We kind of want to treat Jesus that way. Come on over and hang out. And we're just going to kind of s- scoot some stuff underneath the rug. We just hope you don't notice. We hope you won't pay. We, we hope you won't bring that up. Don't, don't look that way. Right? And we're dealing with a Savior. We're dealing with a God who knows our thoughts. Simon, Simon was cooked because he thought he could puff himself up and act a certain way and think a certain way. And here you have Jesus sitting across the table from him going, I know exactly what you're thinking, Simon. Let me share you this story with you. Let me share you a story that's going to blow your mind. We, maybe we need to weep. Maybe we need to wail over our sins. Because when we belittle our sins, when we treat Jesus like a dinner companion that's going to come in and leave, 
when we act like it's not that big of a deal, then why do we need a savior? If we can quote unquote fix it ourselves and ignore it and go on about life and act like it's not there, why do we need forgiveness? Why do we need a savior? It's no wonder that we're horrified when all of our hidden thoughts come walking through the door uninvited in the form of a woman of the city. Look at verse 49. It says this. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this guy? Right? Who is this? Who does, who does he think he is? He, for even, he, he even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a, what a scandalous story. What an hard to believe, incredible story. A, a parable, a little short story in the middle of what's going on here in Simon's house. And it shows us this glimpse of what God is really like. A God who forgives. A God who forgives great debt. And so, who are you? Which one are you? Do you have these, this small, insignificant sin? Because you need to be reminded, we need to hear this, that that, that, that doesn't exist. The Bible teaches, the gospel says, that for the wages of sin doesn't quantify them. It doesn't say for the sins that are in this category or this category or this category. It says for the wages of sin is death. And so whatever sin it is that we are dealing with, the Bible says that we should receive death. But because of Christ, because of the cross, because of what God's done for us through his son, we can accept forgiveness. We get, we get to ask for forgiveness and accept a God who loves us and forgives all of our debts. And so I want to just close by just simply looking at one more thing. I want you to notice one more thing in this story. The woman that was at Jesus' feet, you notice what she says? You notice what she says? She doesn't say anything. She doesn't utter a word. She never says anything in this whole story. It's as if, it's as if Jesus already knew. Right? He, he, he already knew what was going on with her. He knew who was standing behind him before she even walked into the room. He knew how this night was going to play out. He knew her heart. He knew it was sincere. He he knew that her tears flowed from a place of a broken heart. He, He knew that she was repentant. That she was seeking forgiveness. And he knew that she knew that he was the only one that could do that. 
And so he reaches down and pulls her up. He puts his arm around her. And he says, do you guys see this woman? Yeah, we see her. We've seen her for the last 20 minutes. No, 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 no. Do you see her? Her sins are great. But because of her heart, because her heart breaks because of her sins, she's forgiven. What a scandalous story. Who does he think he is? And so here's what I want us to do. In the next just minute or so, we're going to sing an invitation song. You guys are going to stand up. And here's what I want you to pray about. I want you to, to ask God to search your heart and to search your mind and to, sh- to, to show you. Maybe, maybe you've ignored it. Maybe it's not revealed to you. Maybe you've just, you don't even recognize it because you're, it's just been a cycle of sin. And I, I think we just need to take the next couple minutes and, and maybe some of us need to just be broken because of our sin, because of what what we are involved in. Because no sin is insignificant. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm looking at your heart. I, I know your mind, I know your thoughts. When you ask for forgiveness and when you really mean it, I'm gonna forgive you. And I'm going to say, go in peace and go sin no more. Understand that there is freedom, that you can be, bro- uh, be freed of those, bro- those chains, that those chains can be broken, and you can live a new life. And he does that for us, just like he did for this woman in Luke chapter 7. He does that for you today, if you will come clean. <laughs> right? And so maybe some of us in the next few moments as we stand and sing and pray... We just need to take this time with the Lord, and we just need to come clean. I, I, I'm going to be down here in the front. I'd love to pray with you if, if you want to pray about something. Uh, Bobby and some other folks will be back at the decision area. They'd love to pray with you. But maybe we just need to stop and ask for forgiveness. Would you guys stand with me? Lord God in heaven, I thank you for loving us. Thank you for seeing our hearts. Thank you for seeing our tears. I see you for, te- uh, for uh, thank you for seeing our brokenness. Thank you for this the story of, of this woman who was courageous enough to step into this house and to put herself at the feet of her Savior and to beg for mercy and forgiveness. And she found it. She found grace and unconditional love in the arms of our Savior, Jesus. God, you call us to that same relationship today. (laughs) Wow. Thank you for that. Thank you for your son, Jesus. It's his name I pray. Amen.
Oh, your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Till I lay my head I will see the goodness of God loving God, love people, and let's see God change the world. Amen. Have a great day. Love you guys.